Hi, I'm John O'Scott. He's Ben Strivens. Hi. And we, we watch anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know what to add to your queue. Or flush down the loop. So, what's our genre this time? Um, you suggested the creature features for our first podcast. In this podcast, it was I that suggested rom-com. Mm-hmm. And I'd quite like to start by fessing up that I'm not sure I chose particularly well. Uh, in the, We'll come to this when we come to well, do our reviews. But let's just say I didn't quite get rom-coms. Yeah, yeah, but the thing about... No, but the thing about rom-coms is, and the fact that when you suggested rom-coms, is why I sort of did a little skippy dance, because I love terrible rom-coms. It's a massive, massive hole in my, or chink in my kind of like uh, credibility armour. <laughs> some of my favourite, most of my really guilty pleasures, like I don't think, I don't think you can particularly call like a, a, a gory movie or a creature feature as a sort of guilty pleasure, because um, loving a kind of crappy horror movie is is not that, uh, guilty, I guess. I don't know, but no, um, I know what you're but some of my favourite, absolutely terrible, properly awful movies are rom coms. I mean, I love yeah. I love Only You, which oh. is absolutely awful. It's Robert Downey Jr. chasing um, mm. oh, what's a face who is in My Cousin Vinny through Europe, and it's appalling. And it has <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so bad, but I love it with such a passion. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I mean, I was, I'll just come in with one of my examples, which is more of a sort of high concept comedy hmm. stroke rom-com, but it's What Women Want, that stupid Mel Gibson thing. I can't even remember gets, if I've seen that. I think I've seen like half of it. He gets struck by lightning and then can understand women's thought. He can hear women's thought. Yeah, and it's Helen Hunt as well, isn't it? It's Helen Hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always had quite a big soft spot for that, even though, I mean, I don't like Mel Gibson very much. I so, used you know, to. It, yeah, well, I suppose I did. I used to love him when he was Lethal Weapon, but when he started becoming kind of an anti-Semitic misogynist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. It always puts right. me off people when they become anti-Semitic misogynists. I don't know why. It's just one of my things. <laughs> I've got a foible. You weirdo. I'm just very judgmental. That's my problem. <laughs> anyway, so the thing was, at first, when I was looking for these films, I was finding, I was trying to find B movies mm. of rom coms. But then, to cut a long story short, what we we agreed on, and what I decided to do is we chose three films, each from a decade. It was the 90s, the early noughties, and the whatever we're in, the 2010s, and each with a known lead actor, but a, a bit of a forgotten film or a, an unknown film. That's kind of the three that I went for. I don't think that... Um... I don't think that having a sort of a known lead or leads in them stops them being a B movie though, because quite frankly, I I haven't seen your movie. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but the two movies I watched today are so B movie, it's untrue. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not preempting anything and saying that's bad, but I definitely wouldn't class them as like they're not. You know, it's not run to the run to the multiplex to see this. It's definitely kind of like there's nothing marquee or tentpole about these. They they are solid B movies. I suppose so. What I mean is that like I found a couple when I was looking for them that looked like you know, TV movies. You know. Yep. Um, but the one I went for in the end has Jake Gyllenhaal in it, you know, who's a big name kind of thing. Yeah. So that, that's... Well, I've got Sarah Jessica Parker and uh, Harry Connick Jr. Oh, wow. I'd forgotten Harry Connick Jr. was in it. Oh, yeah. Just you wait. <laughs> okay. So 
So should yeah. we start? Should we crack yeah, on? Well, t- tell me about your movie. What did you watch? And, um, and what happened? Well, I watched Accidental Love, um, which came out only last <laughs> year. If you see the posters, well, you won't see the posters, but it's got Jake Gyllenhaal in it. So I thought, you know, this is the thing. I went into thinking, this is, it's called Accidental Love. Mm. It's a rom-com. Sorry, I how old is it? Rom- it's 2015. Jesus. But there's more to this story, which I will come to as, okay. we, as we soldier on. But so anyway, so I'm like you, I kind of enjoy a crap rom-com and that's what I, I went into this wanting it to be mm. sort of crap rom-com. But um, I also like to go into these films fairly blind. You know, I didn't do loads of research beforehand and I just sort of looked at the synopsis and thought, I'll go with this. And um, if I'd done a bit more research, I probably wouldn't have chosen it. But anyway. Let's get started. So it's Accidental Love. It starts with um, Jessica Beale is the lead. She plays Alice, this kind of small town waitress. I can't, I, I can never Jessica work out work. whether Jessica Beale is a B-list. I, I think she's probably a B-list actress, isn't she? Like she, she essentially stopped acting as soon as she married Timberlake. Or obviously didn't because she made this thing with, with um well no this thing this okay so i was going to come to this later but a lot of this most of this or all of this i'm not quite sure was shot in 2008 oh right well that makes a whole great bunch of sense because she was in that god-awful stealth thing right. and she is in okay. the rules of attraction which i quite like mm. but she's yeah anyway sorry carry on but yes but that sounds like you know it sounds like starry powery almost but she's she's she teeters on that verge of being a star doesn't she she's sort of yeah yeah, well, I mean, I'd heard the name, but I must admit I wouldn't have been able to pick her mm. out of a lineup before this, but just because, yeah, I've not seen any any films with her in. But anyway, she, but I should well, don't watch she's very good in this. There's nothing wrong with her acting in this. Mm. She's very good. But anyway, she starts, she's a waitress, and she works at a burger joint where they um, deliver on roller skates. That's like they, give sure. they go out to the cars on roller skates. And straight away, you're in sort of wacky territory. It's all very wacky. It's crazy Dutch <laughs> angles to all the camera. Oh, so is it like they're pretending they're on the tray sort of thing? Or is it just... No, just sort of like kind of lots of skewed things and going quite into close faces and stuff. Okay. But anyway, but let, let me get on no, and no, just say the plot a bit more. But like, so she's on she's on a roller skate. She's working at Waitress. And then her dreamy boyfriend is going to turn up any moment. And he's James Marsden. Do you know? remember James Marsden? I know and the he name. He still gets loads of work. But yeah, well, he's like... Who's the one in um, X Men who has the glasses and fires out? Is he called? Oh, I think that might be him. Is that James Marsden? He's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Cyclops. Yeah, Cyclops. He was Cyclops. always the most rubbish character in in the X Men yeah, movies. I'm not a comic book boring, guy, he? but he's just he's just so dully straight and yeah, dull. Okay, so having a thing that you fire out of your face is a bit boring. <laughs> James Marsden plays her creepy boyfriend, and he's a cop. He's kind of controlling and weird, but they're in love. But he's they're sort of. They basically he turns up and they're going to go for dinner and straight away you find out that he's about to pop the question and he's got everything just as he wants it and she's really excited about him mm. popping the question because they're in love. Then they they go to this um, uh, restaurant for the the popping the question scene, but there's building work going on and there's right. and he's getting more and more tense about there being building work going on because it's ruining his brilliantly thought out. Romantic it's, sorry, is the building work going on inside the restaurant? Yeah, it's totally because that always happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's totally absurd. But um, and and he so he's getting annoyed with this guy who's putting up a sign or something with a nail gun. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> she sort of says yes, even though he, you know it seems to be he put on puts on the ring. But then an accident happens, and she ends up getting a nail in her head. Right. Accidental love. This is the accident. She gets a nail in her skull. Okay. Okay. 
Yes. Um, that, that might sound like it is funny. It really isn't funny. funny. It's badly <laughs> shot. It's really weird. That, that scene's actually really weird because it's really dim. Like, it's badly lit. So is it quite anyway, creepy when she gets a nail in her head then? Is it just, just a bit? No, 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 no. It's all comic kind of mm. over-the-top fast kind of stuff. But it's just really... The whole thing's so contrived. Anyway, uh, so she's, she's, she's got a nail in her skull. She goes to hospital. And then this is where the what the film is all about comes to pass, as it were. It sort of turns up because these two doctors are just about to operate on her to get the nail out of her skull. Mm-hmm. When it turns out that she doesn't have insurance, you know, she doesn't have healthcare cover. Right. So they stop and start smoking instead and just saying how, how buggered she's going to be and, you know, oh, they can't do anything about it. Is she, uh, is she sort of at all anaesthetised for this or is she, she no, she's awake? No, she's, she's awake. And so, um, and so that's what this is all about. It's all about healthcare. It's a satire about <laughs> America not be, not having healthcare for all, kind of. Oh right, yeah. But anyway, that makes it sound better than it is already. But anyway, so so she's left high and dry with a nail still in her head. And meanwhile, I suppose the one looking back on it, the one amuse, amusing thing is um, Storm actor Marsden guy. Yeah, he's constantly saying things like. I'm seventy four percent sure that I'm gonna bloody blah, and he and he's constant, and basically he starts going off her straight away, kind of like, oh, I don't really want to marry you anymore because you're a bit weird and you've got a nail in your head, kind of thing. And is it most, so? It's just the nail that's turning him off. Yeah, basically, because it's gonna, it's having sort of, it's gonna have behavioural problems, sort of thing. Right? Does so he, and he doesn't briefly, want to pay to have the nail removed from her head then? Well, he can't because it's gonna be that. It's gonna be hundred. It's brain surgery. Oh, okay. So it's gonna be hundreds of thousands of pounds or whatever. Sure. Now, just to say, in these early scenes, you get quite a lot of Beverly D'Angelo. Is oh, her mum. awesome! I love yeah. her. <laughs> no, I really love her from the old vacation. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice seeing her again. And another person like that, Kirsty Alley. Um, just like, as in I sort of think of them as similar eras is in it as well as this Aunt Rita okay again there's, there's lots of wackiness going on all these scenes are very <laughs> over the top and annoying and there's more of these, these weird camera angles and stuff that mm. just like telegraph that we're in wacky world just you know watch out anyway yeah. so Kirsty Alley is plays Aunt Rita so right. what's, so Beale can't have brain surgery so Kirsty Alley is a, is a vet she's a horse surgeon or something Yep. It ends up being this sort of like slightly mad scene where she tries to do the brain surgery herself. Yeah. You know, using instructions found on the internet. Excellent. Kind of, yeah. So, Although in a very boring way, here's, here's yeah. a factoid for you, yeah. vets are allowed to operate on humans, whereas uh, surgeons are not allowed to operate on animals. Meh, factoid. Well, is that all over the world or just in America? I don't know. It's in the UK. I'm guessing it might be the same in America because... Vets have loads of, um, like, mammalian physiology is pretty much the same all over the shop, but there are foibles to different animals, whereas, like, um, humans, like, it's like human doctors are one very specific kind of vet. Wow, dude. I really wasn't expecting that factoid. There you go. That, you just, I mean, that, just what you gave me there was more <laughs> pleasurable than the entire experience <laughs> of what, watching Accidental Love. Oh. Anyway, I'm going to crack on. Do. Because. Absolutely. Cause so, um. Uh, where was I? So yeah, yeah, so she, so it doesn't work, you know. And there's there's the behavioural stuff because of where mm. the nail is. She starts like showing behavioural changes. She's getting really, really angry, really suddenly and stuff. Okay. And by this point, perfect boyfriend, boyfriend is still around in scenes and stuff, but he's definitely like oh, bye kind of thing. And so because of that, oh yeah, there are these friends of the family who also have similar have you know issues. Nails in their heads. 
No, it's not quite that, but it's just as... Right, well, They're sort of wacky, zany comedy troupe. Yes. It's a bit like having the clowns. Yeah, so, like, Kurt Fuller plays this reverend guy. Who's I don't a friend, know who that is. And he, well, you'd recognise him. Okay. I forget what else he's in, but you'd definitely recognise him. But he plays this older reverend friend of the family guy mm. who's got a permanent erection. Um, I can't remember why, but he, so he's got a permanently sore penis because it's constantly chafing against his underthings. Right. And then Trace, Tracy so, Morgan. On. So his, um, we know he's got a permanently sore, a permanent erection because he talks about it as opposed to like the comedic knocking vases off tables and stuff like that. Oh, I think there's a bit of that as well. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah I, no, always, I, I always like a harder knocking a vase off a table. Yeah. And then there's another character. This is so subtle. Oh, but Tracy Morgan, he's called. Mm, I know um, Tracy Morgan. He, he plays um, Keyshawn. That's how it's spelled. I can't remember how they pronounce his name, but Keyshawn. Is that a normal name? But anyway, he has an know. anal prolapse. <laughs> See what they did there? Yeah, this is brilliant. So yeah. everyone's got a medical condition, essentially. Yeah, so she sort of teams up with this lot and they, they, and they head off to Washington, D.C. Now, I'm just going to jump in here with a... Th- I did drama GCSE, okay? <laughs> and as part of drama GCSE, yes. I had to write... We all had to write a little bit of script once. We had to write our own little play and we had to choose a certain type of drama and I chose fast because I was just interested in... Well, just because I like comedies, I suppose. Yeah. And I wrote a really embarrassing... It makes me really embarrassed just to think about it. But I wrote this comedy. I can't remember what it's called, but it was a, it was a sort of like a sex change comedy. Right. When I was about 14. <laughs> it's very topical it rel- these days. <laughs> and it relied on I just a, a 14-year-old's understanding of what sex changes were. Sounds kind perfect. Of, I lived in a, back then I lived in a world where I thought a sex change was like a little Sorry, operation. I'm, I'm going to elaborate. This is a 14-year-old boarding school pupil's idea of what a sex yeah. change is as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember, the only thing I really remember about it clearly was that the sex changes all took, a, took they, there was accidental sex change operations right. going on. And one of the characters was called Mrs. Plozzy Holders. Excellent. <laughs> That I really can't believe I'm telling you this. I'm really embarrassed by Mrs. Plozzy Holders. I like the name Mrs. Plozzy Holders. But I might call her cat Mrs. Plozzy Holders. But this film with this nail in the stupid head and the and the bloke with the erection and the prolapsed anus was putting me in mind <laughs> of my own terrible stuff that I wrote when I was 14. That's how bad and annoying it sort of was. I'm guessing um, we don't, with the prolapsed anus, he's just talking about it. We don't kind of like, is it like, a, oh, can't fart, I'm going to prolapse again kind of thing? or is it, Or is it just... There's just loads of like. I, I mean, don't even know how you comic, deal with a comic prolapse holding anus. his bottom. Uh, no, okay. he just keeps holding his own bottom and trying not to show it or something. I can't quite remember. <laughs> this sounds anyway, the absolutely is, winning. Yeah, I'm going to speed up the plot synopsis because it's depressing. You, well, I can I tell. Yeah, it's just it, it's really getting to me just talking about it again. So I can't. She sees an ad on the TV. Like Jake Gyllenhaal is this is on TV is a he's a rising young senator or something and he's kind of saying I can solve problems and she sort of goes ah oh, we should go to him and get him to you know to campaign for us on, on yeah. healthcare and so they do they go to Washington DC so it's her guy with permanent erection guy with prolapsed anus oh great <laughs> it's a medical fuckwitz road trip. Yeah, and they but they, they there's no road trippy element as and they just turn up suddenly they're in Washington DC and the rest of the action all takes right. place in DC. And they don't get to meet Jake Gyllenhaal straight away, but he's basically nice, but he's basically a bit of an idiot and also desperate, you know, for power. He wants to get on yeah. in his career. Um, so he's not sleazy as such, but he's not, he's just a bit of an idiot. And he's got this boss who's an overbearing kind of 
controlling right wing senator who's obsessed with getting the moon ba- getting the moon weaponized. They want to put mo- they want to get money from government oh, to put a moon base with. I know. See, yeah. This is how wacky it's getting. I wanted a rock so car. D- I was so disappointed. Honestly, and as well, in all this, I have not laughed once. And all the way through, I didn't laugh once. I think there was one thing that made me sniggle. Do they do? Do they think they're making a political statement, or are they sort of just trying to make a farce with a political sidebar thing? No, I think that they're, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'll come to this, but yeah, no, I think they they were setting out to satirise the way government works, and they were setting out to make a point about healthcare and why it's important to have yep. universal healthcare. That's what they were setting out to do, but it just failed. So anyway, they get to Washington DC. Um, she finally meets Jake Gyllenhaal. That she accosts him in a in a corridor, and she tries to get him to get behind her. You know, get behind this whole thing. They end up having sex because that's the thing. Her brain has also she's suddenly she's lost the impulse or, control. Yeah, that kind of thing. So they end up having okay. sex, which sort of put me in mind of that comedy sex scene in The Tall Guy. Do you remember that? But oh uh, yeah, vaguely. Yeah, but, I haven't seen that movie in ages. I know. Well, it's I never liked it very much, but I really liked a few bits of it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So and I and I and I love that it exists, kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, so then I'm just going to sort of run through a few more things that happen. Sure. Because the point is that the rest of it all takes place in Washington D.C. with her desperately trying to get this bill, this healthcare bill, mm-hmm. onto the thing. But she's got this enemy senator. And she goes to see, I think, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, who then chokes on something and dies. And the evil senator, actually, they're using a defibrillator. It's all very comic and loud. Um, And then the senator kicks out the plug so the defibrillator won't work, so he does die. And she's trying to... And then there's a scene where... There's the sort of love plot between Beale and Jake Gyllenhaal, which is so secondary to all all this wonderful satire going on. Kind of, there's this bit where... He ends up, he's shown his true colours, so he just disappears. He's, he's messed up his career. So he goes off to a retreat to find his inner man right. or something. That sounds a bit painful. I mean, oh, it's also painful. And then it, it all comes back with Storm has decided that he's fallen in love with her after all. Sorry, mm. Cyclops, whatever he's called, has decided that he's still in love with her. Oh, he's again. graciously decided that actually, even though she's got a nail in her head, she's gonna, he's going to love her anyway. Yeah, that kind of thing. Anyway. Skip to the end. There's a big showdown in the the, the, with the, the the senators and and it kind of ends happily. Okay. If you Does want more get... detail, I can give you more detail. But I really, you know, it's quite dizzying. You know, the plot doesn't. Oh, there's no one key thing is that it does sound quite unfocused. Yeah, I think it's it just. Does she just get the annoying. nail? Ever, does she ever get the nail taken out of her head? No, I don't think she does during the film's running time. And are there any circumstances when people comedically hang jackets off it or anything like that? No, well, you can't. You can't really see it. Oh, it's, it's quite deep, there. is it? Yeah, it's quite deep in her. Brain. Oh, I was just—I was imagining like someone with like an inch of nail sticking out the side of their head, which I thought all sorts of comedy could ensue. You could snag no. it on bead curtains. You could maybe put runs in stockings or something. No, to wear a hat. Oh right, <laughs> so. I thought there'd be all people, you know, casually bang it. Uh, if, if it's sort of just embedded up to the thing, that's a bit less exciting. Yeah. So anyway, the the film is terrible. It's just terrible. It's really annoying. It's not funny at all. I mean, really not funny. And I like, you know, I 
I don't, I don't, I don't mind really silly comedies. I like. Mm. Blade, I've got a really big soft spot for Blades of Glory, for example. Which is I hardly, haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, well, I don't really like films like that. But I, for some reason, no, I, like I can't that one. stand the that lot. Yeah, no, well, the Will I'm, Ferrell, I'm, yeah, I'm with you Johnson more or less. Riley combo, a hundred percent of the way. Apart from for whatever reason, Blades of Glory does it for me. But it's just hateful. The satire, <laughs> the sort of interesting stuff about universal health care and politics is lost because it's so shoddily thrown together. Yeah. And all this sort of like really crap, you know, all these prolapsed bottoms and hard-ons. It's just so childish. Like so, I say, it puts me in mind of a, something I wrote when I was 14. It made me hate Jake Gyllenhaal. There were these really creepy sort of like brownie type children, you know, like girl guides. Yeah. And there's this kind of awful sort of bit where they seem to fancy the guy, the Cyclops guy. And it, but they're obviously really underage, so that was all sort of weird and not very nice. It's not a rom. It, it's not really a com. It's it's just it's just a satire bomb. with a childish <laughs> with a with a with a childish script. Oh, and the music! I forgot the music. It's awful. It's really irritating. And as well, like yeah, so it goes from there's sort of I keep going on about the crazy Dutch angles in the beginning, mm. but by the end, it's filmed. Like I mean, you might as well be watching Legally Blonde, which I love. Yeah, Legally Blonde is fantastic. I would, I would yeah. love to watch Legally Blonde. I know Legally Blonde is just yeah a definite. The point is though, this film is terrible. I cannot recommend it. It's awful. It's not funny at all. It really isn't. I think almost describing the plot makes it sound funnier than it is. No, it didn't sound very funny. It just sounded bad. Okay, good, good. But the, it only becomes interesting. The only reason I would sort of recommend it is if, in fact, you do the reading about it that I should have done before I watched ah. it. Because basically, when I, when I read up about it, this is a David O. Russell film. What? It's a lost David what? O. Russell film. That would explain it, called... it being quite all over the place, though. Exactly, exactly. And it basically, you suddenly think, oh, it's that sort of I heart Huckabee's kind of vibe. Ah. And, and, you know, it's only all these things kind of like fall into that place. Massive. Kind of so basically, <laughs> it's called, it was originally going to be called Nailed. He co-wrote it with Al Gore's daughter. Right. And um, Kristen Gore, I, I don't know much about that. But the point is that, like, he directed it. He was working on it in 2008. Mm. There was loads of problem with financing. I don't know the full story because I think with a lot of, like, a lot of these things, it's quite yeah, complicated. Yeah. And, um, Shrouded in mystery. Um, but the shooting never quite finished. Oh, so someone else, and then, and then eventually he gave it up. Yeah. And so, so someone else finished happened, it off. Re- yeah. So what's happened is that these the producers or whoever owned this film have got what they had. And they thought, okay, you know, they patched it up. They they pulled it all together. Called it. I know. Let's call it accidental love. Let's give it a poster with Jake. Oh my god. Gritty. And kind of make and so someday a stupid British podcasting idiot <laughs> choose it for his second ever. You've just episode. watched a movie of leftovers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, I, I, who knows how much he'd actually done. But mm. yeah, as a scene, and I like, I read an article by I forget the name of it was a guard. It was a Guardian article. Yeah, but he pointed out this scene which I had already noticed as well. But the the scene where she actually gets the nail in the head. Mm. You know, I mentioned earlier how dim it looked. Yeah, and he and so it wasn't just me. He picked up on it in his article as well. It really is. It looks shoddy, and I can't. I don't know if that was something that was reshot or whether that was just a sort of rough take that they ended up using. But I didn't. When I was watching it, I didn't get a sense that these are all second takes or whatever. Yeah. It's just. It's just bad. It's just. I mean, the thing is, I don't think that this would have been a good film if David O. Russell hadn't run no, out look, of money I, I, because it's just bad. Bless his socks. I, I love loads of David O. Russell, and I, I think. I think I probably hate myself for liking I Heart Huckabees because I think it is just, mm. it's a bit too twee to exist. But I, 
did yeah. quite enjoy it when I saw it. But I mean, I love um, American Hustle and loads of other stuff. But uh, he is a bit like he does. He's not renowned for his tightly plotted, no, kind of um, A to B or A to C narrative kind of thing. It's he's quite a bit like it's a mess of stuff that I'll sort of make work with style. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is the thing; it just doesn't work. And the thing is, as well, <laughs> that you you genuinely cannot really um, criticize the performances because, like, Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, everyone inhabits their characters really yeah, well. Yeah. Beale's really good. Jake Gyllenhaal's really good. All these peripheral idiots are really good. Like I said, it's really nice seeing um, Beverly D'Angelo at, at the beginning. She does feature later, but mainly at the beginning. The sort of evil Catherine Keener, the senator played by Catherine Keener, she's really good. As I well. love Catherine Keener. Oh, there's Keener Paul too. Rubens. There's Pee Wee Herman's in it as a sort of. Who um, I did love until the. Well, no, he didn't, he didn't fiddle with kids, did he? He just spanked off in a movie theatre, so that was fine. Oh really? God, I, 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 I didn't know that until now. But I love him no. from the Buffy, the original Buffy movie, where he's the only really good thing in it. Oh yeah. So basically, it is terrible. Mm. But actually, now I've now I've done the reading that I should have done beforehand, as it were. I I would sort of recommend it to other to fans of David O. Russell just to see a sort of failed project. You know, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's like if if that you, does if make it a, interesting. Yeah, if there was a a um. I don't know, a Picasso exhibition of his lesser known works, his stuff that he didn't like, that they all found in his bin or something. Yeah. People would go and see that, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, there was so all there's those... an argument for going to see this for the, in the same reason, but it's terrible. Let, let me just put it this way. You know, we did Beast of the Bering Sea. I just felt really bad about how much I, t- I, I slagged off Beast of the Bering Sea. It's genius. <laughs> go and watch Beast of the Bering Sea rather than Accidental Love because it's basically lies. It's not a rom-com. It's not a com. It's just... A bit of a mess. Yeah. Damn. Well, um, that leads quite nicely in some ways into um, into my movie. I can't wait. Um, so, yeah, yours was 2015, made in 2008. Mine's from 2002. I think made in 2001, too. Um, and it is called Life Without Dick. So ha, ha, ha. exactly, immediately you're just like ha 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 ha. <laughs> Life without he 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 he. I mean, it's just it's you can everything you need to know about this movie you can sort of get from the title, I guess. Um, like it's trying so so hard, and that's not meant to be a pun on the word dick. But yeah. um, so essentially. It's got Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, this is, on the face of it, a rom-com. But hey, it's a kooky black rom-com. Oh, wow. I love those. Yeah. Um, They're my favourite ones. So <laughs> you've got Sarah Jessica Parker. You've got you've got a, a whole smorgasbord of averageness. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker. You've got Harry Connick Jr., who, frankly, I like it when he sings. And I don't mind yeah. him acting like he was in that serial killer thing, copycat or whatever, which he wasn't bad it in. Was, it just wasn't wasn't. Am I remembering wrong? Wasn't he in that that the the one about the 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 the, the, the play, Memphis Bell? Sorry, the the the, the Memphis. Yeah, he's Bell. in Memphis Bell, which is like he's not a bad actor. He's but he is yeah. generally on the average spectrum. You've got yeah. Johnny Knoxville being oh, just as yeah. wonderful as Johnny Knoxville is. Yeah. Um, you have. Uh, that dude who was in the movie about the haircutting and became a talk show host, uh, Craig Ferguson. Oh, him, yeah. Again, 
who I, who I don't mind. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind because he's average. Like he's yeah. just you know, there's there's no one there. I'm just going, oh, brilliant! I've got to watch that because that's because they're in there. Um, yeah. There's even a uh, there's, there's a good like I don't know maybe minute and a half worth of screen time from Claudia Schiffer oh, being wow. average. Um, yeah. And it, and it's just it, it's made by a guy called Bix Scarhill. Scarhill, Scahill, I don't know. Um, and this is the last movie he made. Oh. Oh. 14 years ago. Not because he died. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting all sad then. But no. no. Okay. Just because it's the last time someone gave him any money to make a movie. Interestingly enough, though, he was a production assistant on Fargo, so he did sort of like get to watch people who can make movies. Oh, that is interesting. Make movies. When what year was Fargo? Was that before or after this then? Um, I reckon Fargo is Fargo's mid nineties. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, might Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice dude. <laughs> uh, so it's okay. Uh, plot synopsis. Yeah. Um, oh god, it pains me. Sarah Jessica Parker yes. is. Um, uh, she comes home. Her boyfriend is Johnny Knoxville and he starts singing. He's there with a bunch of uh, suitcases, his guitar around his neck and he starts singing, leaving on a jet plane to her. Right. Um, at which point she goes, and you shagged a crossing guard. And he kind of goes, Oh, how did you find out about that? And she pulls a gun out of her purse and she shoots him. Right. Um, there's a lot of sort of flashbacky stuff that happens um, where you see that she doesn't think the gun's loaded, right. so she's just trying to scare him because he's a sleazy, horrible boyfriend. Um, and uh, we'll go, I'll come back to that later. But yeah. uh, essentially, she she kills her boyfriend, who's called Dick. Right. So this is then life without Dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then she sticks him in the yeah. <laughs> um, she sticks him in the cellar. Right. Um, great. We move on to Harry Connick Jr., who is a useless hitman. So we find out, like, he's been a hitman for a couple of years but never killed anybody, but his brother-in-law is the mob boss. That's Craig Ferguson. So he made him a hitman as a favour. Right. Um, apparently he used to be in the accounts department and then he moved him into the hitman department. Brilliant. Yes, this movie's that good. Um, and Harry Connick Jr., um, was supposed to kill Dick and turns up at the house to kill Dick, but uh, doesn't because he's already dead, you see. Now, he has met... He he was tailing Dick earlier, the day before. He had an auto accident with Dick, at which point he started flirting with Sarah Jessica Parker and she started flirting with him so hard. So he comes to the door to sort of kind of kill Dick and she's like, oh, it's this guy. Um, One thing leads to another. Bit of romancy-romancy. Um, she and he get together. It sounds quite wacky so far. Okay, this is so, so, so desperately trying hard to be wacky. For example... we've actually got really similar Yes, these films really match up. So she, um, for example, so he tells her that he's an art dealer and she's an artist... And she goes into the garage to show him her artwork. But each one is an identical sized canvas painted a different colour wow. that's a bit bumpy. Wow. So she kind of like gets to the blue one and she says, oh, this is from my blue period. <laughs> and it's like, ha, ha, ha. And he just fakes liking them because he doesn't want to tell her he's a hitman because obviously he's he's trying to get into her uh, 
uh, under things. Under things, yes. And she, her entire character throughout is this. She's this is utter ditzy fuck. Like she is <laughs> so annoying. You hate her in LA Story. I don't hate her in LA Story, but in LA Story, she is Einstein compared to her <laughs> in this movie. She is so dumb and she sort of drifts through the whole thing so going la da 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 and you know, for oh. large portions of it she's wearing a um a party hat because she was going to throw dick a fake party because oh. uh, she, she's but she's kooky and she drives a beetle and do 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 he disposes she tells him about dick and he disposes of dick's body for it because he's in right. he's a yeah, gangster yeah. so he's got these connections and that she's really grateful to have a painting great um oh. and through peppered throughout this as well is people asking Harry Connick Jr. to sing. So the first time we sort of see him in in a big in a big context, he's at the mobster's house, and oh, it's really funny because like they're mobsters, but they're not Italian; they're Irish, and it's hilarious. And because they're Irish, wow. everyone's called Patrick, and they're Irish, not Italian, and they're Irish. Oh, um, that really and, sounds funny. And they're all drinking Guinness because they're Irish. And wow, they're all brilliant. wearing clothes from the thirties with cloth, 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 uh, cloth caps, and mm. but then they say things like, uh, "When you're when you're in the mafia," and another one goes, "We're not the mafia, we're Irish." It's great, um, and then but they they keep asking him to see, see sing things like "Danny Boy" because he's Irish, and oh, yeah. um, occasionally he bursts into song, uh, but there's a flashback to why he's in why he's um he's unhappy and in pain because uh, he wants to be a singer. But his ex-girlfriend, who's Claudia, who is Claudia Schiffer, for no real right. reason, um, he was singing in a bar, and then he finished singing, and she laughed at him. But the problem is that he sounds like Harry Connick Jr. So yeah. there's no way in the world anyone's ever going to laugh at him for singing, because he's Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> so actually, he's got an incredible voice. And it's something uber crass, I found, about like Harry Connick Jr. moping around just going... I just want to be a professional singer. And everyone else kind of just going, you can do it. And then he's going, no, I, I don't sing anymore. But he occasionally burst into song, but not in a cool, like, oh, this is a semi-musical way. Just in a kind of like, we've we've employed Harry. This is our thing. We're wacky. Yeah. We're zany. We've got singing Harry Cott Jr. He, uh, so he, and so eventually, through a series of hilarious events, part of one of them is someone getting killed with her painting. Uh, she finds out that he is a hitman and not an art dealer. Um, uh, but she's not freaked out by this. And instead, no. she offers to do his hits for him because she seems to have an aptitude for it. So uh, his brother-in-law slash boss kind of says, look, you can stop being a hitman. You've got to kill five people for me. And then you can be free of your sort of hitman chains. So Sarah Jessica Parker kills these five people for him. Um, and she's got no compunctions about it. She's fine. I mean, there are like, you know, this is a, this is a guy who sells drugs to kids. This is the thing and thing, but she's just sort of like, she's just this ditzy, like la da 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 blonde. And then, but she's this natural great shot and she just has no compunctions about killing people. Apparently so. Um, until finally, uh, Harry Connick Jr. goes to his, his brother-in-law and says, Hey, you, um, I've done the, I've done the, I've done the five. (laughs) I've done the five murders. And now can I, you know, oh, that's it. Sorry. It's not just he's going to be released. He's going to give him a uh, a shot singing in one of his clubs if he kills five wow. people. As opposed to okay. as opposed to like going to an audition or finding a manager 
or just going to a yeah. bar. Yeah, anyway. Um, so he's going to get this guy, and he says, ha, 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 no, you're not. I need you to kill one more person. And the last person he wants him to kill is his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend. And he asks Sarah Jessica... So is that... So Claudia Schiffer's new boyfriend kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, then he asks Sarah Jessica Parker to do it, and she gets all uppity because she's like, that's your ex-girlfriend's boyfriend, so you just doing that so you can get back together with her, blah, 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 blah. God, it's so 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 <laughs> awful and then it culminates <laughs> it culminates uh, th- th- basically throughout the whole of this movie there are two terrible cops who <laughs> think they you look really depressed they these two cops think they are deadpan and funny but they're just yeah. awful and they're sort of investigating these murders and so everything culminates and oh there's a side plot as well that uh, Craig Ferguson, the, the mob boss, is cheating mm. on his wife, who is Harry Connick Jr.'s sister, with a stripper oh. who beats him with oh. a paddle. But um, uh, it, all, it all culminates at, in the weirdest of worlds, a talent show. Considering I don't know the last time anyone held a talent show. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in America this happens all the time in the middle of nowhere. But it's a talent show that fills a... Um, well, there is America's Got Talent. I mean, yeah, no, no, but that, but that's you mean on like TV. A local... This is like this yeah, is a so local like theatre, local... a decent sized theatre that has like yeah. okay, and it's so and so in his accordion. <laughs> okay, up next, folks, is this guy singing. So it ends up. So Harry Connick Jr. goes and competes in the talent show, which he could have done without killing five people or without getting his girlfriend oh. to kill five people. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker goes to the talent show to kill him because she thinks he's. She thinks he's he's getting back together with with his ex girlfriend. Oh, and oh, she right. thinks he okay. set set the cops on her because the cops turn oh, up at her door okay. and ask her a couple of questions. And the mob boss turns up to kill Harry Connick Jr. because he hasn't been killing people really. And the cops turn up to arrest everyone. And just it's one of those. It, it has these farcy elements where everyone turns up in the last scene. Harry Connick Jr. sings "Danny Boy," and gets a massive round, uh, standing ovation. And then just as Sarah Jessica Parker is about to plug him, he dedicates the yeah. song to the woman he loves, and it's her. And then wow. he asks her to marry him. The wow. thing is, the ring he uses to ask her to marry him okay. was actually taken off the dead body of the boyfriend that she killed, Dick. She has no idea of this. And it never really right. becomes a thing. <laughs> but he's stolen <laughs> this thing. But that's all part of the wacky, crazy blackness of the plot because basically Dick's dead and no one really cares. There's just got so many annoying contrivances. It's so contrived. It's so trying to be wacky. It wants to be It wants to be Heathers. He's definitely watched Heathers a million times. It desperately wants to be Heathers. It, it, it bizarrely yeah. reminded me of The Freshman. Have you seen that Matthew, Matthew Broderick movie? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of The Freshman and Heathers. And the Heathers is a great movie, but this is this is yeah. this has none of the skill or the wit or the cleverness or anything. And then every time Harry Connick Jr. sings, I want to watch When Harry Met Sally. I'm watching a rom com. Yeah. And Harry Connick Jr.'s voice starts singing. I'm like, oh, but Harry, but can we just, shall I, can I just turn this? No, no. It's awful. It's, it's kind of almost insultingly awful. It's, it sounds, it's interesting that we both, we both ended up by chance with definitely contrived. Yeah, absolutely. 
with with really nauseating characters because that's the thing the moment something's that contrived and wacky it's going to take me out of the experience and I don't care but this is what I mean is that like mine one didn't turn out to be any kind of rom even though you know the, there is a supposed yeah. love plot between Gyllenhaal and what's her name it's just and it, so yeah yeah you're, oh God, you're it was so terrible, terrible. The, and so tell me about Sarah she's Jessica awful Parker. she's just make no, like I, I like her now they st- I kind of like her now. I hate her and everything else and I hated her in this she's so annoying Johnny Knoxville is mm. awful. I don't mind Johnny Knoxville as a as an entity, but he's a terrible mm. bloody actor, and he mm. he cannot act drunk. So that he, basically, he starts off the movie dead pretty much, and then it does all these flashbacks to him like in a strip bar talking to these cops with those of like greatly contrived right. lines. Like he's a private. Okay, again, he's a private dick called Dick, and uh, his commercial. You have to you dial one one two hundred. I'm a dick. And then the commercial is really funny because he keeps repeating, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, I'm a dick. And you kind of go, no, I'm a dick for actually putting this fucking thing on my television. Um, <laughs> but he cannot act drunk. He's, te- he's just terrible. Um, so oh, one of the reason he gets killed is because Sarah Jessica Parker yeah. is not expecting there to be a bullet in the gun, right? And then it flashes yeah. back to a scene where she's in the shower and he goes through her purse, finds the gun, and for no reason... I can see on Earth puts one bullet in it and then puts it back in her purse. He sort of sets up this weird Russian roulette thing for no reason whatsoever. It's kind of like, oh, I'll just load part of a gun. Anyway, put that back now. Bye. Just, just it has no, no sense whatsoever. And there's another scene later on where they, where Harry Cotton Jr. kind of says to her, so, all right, um, you want to kind of get an alibi because Dick's disappeared and you don't want anyone to know you've killed him. So why don't you, you know, it was his birthday. So why don't you just hold a surprise party for him? And then when he doesn't show up, whoa, what a surprise. And then, you know, it doesn't know that you've killed him. So there's, there's this house full of Dick's friends, right? And Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker. And then there's Harry Connick Jr. acting like her boyfriend. And he's a guy none of them have ever met in their lives. So they're, they're at a surprise party for their friend, thrown by his girlfriend, who has some dude who's kind of acting like her boyfriend, and then the phone rings, he picks it up, and he goes, hmm, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, well, poof. He goes, that was, that was Dick. He's not going to make it. He's left town. And they're like, and no one turns around and goes, sorry, and you are? <laughs> it's just so, that like, it's, it, it's more Swiss cheesy than anything you can ever think of. It's just rubbish. It's exactly... I guess what you would expect from a Sarah Jessica Parker wannabe kooky black rom-com. Just to say, I don't, I've stopped, I don't hate Sarah Jessica Parker. I just haven't liked no, anything she's done. I don't done. hate her. And I st- but I still think she's a good actress, but I just don't like anything she's done. I haven't liked any of the characters she's ever played. I don't know if she's a good actress or, or not. Like I can't really tell. No. I, would, I would say, if you consider watching this movie, go and watch When Harry Met Sally, go and watch LA Story, Go and watch Heather's, and you'll be watching three infinitely superior movies that this would not even come close to, but occasionally wants to be on different levels. Wow. Okay. Wow. Not a not recommendation. A no, this is a solid avoid. This is a proper, we've watched yeah. this, so you don't have to, and you will never have to. Yeah. Well, thank you, dude, for watching that, so <laughs> I don't have to. I really appreciate and, it. And, and for just you to summarise mine yeah. one more time. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah, mine, I definitely isn't a recommend. But as I say, the fact that it's got this interesting, troubled gestation is perhaps a reason that one might like to watch it. But for God's sake, do not. That is a saving grace. So, 
Okay, well, moving on. There's the movie we've. That's our two we've we've watched separately. The movie we've watched that we've both watched. Yep. Again, my choice. Now, as I said, I wanted a lead that people had heard of, and I took one from each decade, and going back to 1990s. And this one is from 1990, so I guess it might well have been from made in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's world famous, The Boyfriend School with Steve Gutenberg. Also titled. Don't tell her it's me. Oh, is that? Is that? I never noticed that. Is it really? It had another title. Don't tell her it's me. God, that's a really creepy weird title. <laughs> that slightly <laughs> freaks me out. Well, we can get to that later. Yeah. Okay. Overall, uh, okay. I, overall impressions of this movie. Do you want to start? Well, <laughs> my problem is that I am, and I'm going to call this a problem. This is a problem yeah. I have. Yeah. Is that I'm a sucker for this kind of thing, yeah. and a, 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 I'd say a small, a small to medium sized part of me loved this. Yeah, it's terrible, but I also kind of loved it. So, it's it's exactly. It felt like, and I don't know whether it was just because it felt like such an antidote to this sort of um, the want to be the arch awfulness of uh, of Witchface and Johnny Knoxville <laughs> and all those people, um, but there's just. Like from the second it starts up, and I mean, apart from the fact that you, the credits roll, right? And you go, Steve Gutenberg, win. Shelley yes. Long, win. <laughs> win. Even though she's always dying from cheers. Yeah. Um, and then it sort of moves on, and you're suddenly like, you're Jamie Gertz, win. Carl McLaughlin, win. win. Oh, yeah, I know, God. I was so pleased when Carl McLaughlin's name came up. And there's, an, there's someone else, like. Um, Imagine Amic. Yeah, Imagine Amic. And I was like, amazing. And then, um, and then you've got this. Um, Apart from the fact, I just I love I love how bad the intro is of yeah the intro is terrible isn't narrating it? all these different scenarios and then it goes to a cartoon um, credit yeah, sequence which, yeah reminds like, me of like something yeah better off dead exactly yeah, yeah so like this or a bit like mannequin so as well things. do you remember the yeah. animations at the beginning of mannequin yeah yeah this is I mean and this is obviously you know I, I guess a poor cousin of some of those things that hasn't quite survived in in acclaim but I, I'm unashamedly. Just sort of basically sat there rubbing my hands with glee, just going, right, I'm in for a treat. Well, I, I will just want to dive in and, and just... Basically, I really... It made me... I just felt lots of warm, nostalgic feelings yeah. about Steve Gutenberg. Absolutely. Like, in the 80s and 90s... Well, the 80s, really, but like he was, you know, lead character in loads of, like, really big... You know, the Police Academy movies were a yeah. big part of our childhood, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. He was, he was a pretty cool dude, as Mahoney. And also, he was in, like... um cocoon and he was in like was he in i don't think i've ever seen cocoon circuit? all the way through you know oh cocoon's terrible but like he was still he, you know, might he was have still been in, in these circuit, big yeah. movies of the era and it's just i was just seeing him looking still quite young and cool there was something like, that occurred to me cool, at the end of this movie though and it is way skipped to the end but there's a point when he's walking away from the camera in blue jeans and white trainers and i just like thought <laughs> steve Gutenberg was born in blue jeans and white trainers and he's gonna <laughs> die in blue jeans like like stonewashed blue jeans and white trainers because he is the man made to wear them well i once confused my work colleagues at the office because i found this really high resolution picture of steve gutenberg when he was really <laughs> when he was first burst onto the scene as a you know p- p- before police academy yeah with really shaggy beautiful hair just looking cool and it was the front cover of some american movie magazine mm. and it just went steve gutenberg living the dream and i just thought it was so cool i had to print it out i've still got it somewhere it's just him looking awesome at probably about 1980 or a bit later but anyway yeah so, so yeah, love the Gutenberg, and basically yeah, to skip to the end slightly, my 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 feeling was um, similar. I kind of this film's flawed and terrible, deeply in lots of deeply ways, flawed. But it's it's 
it's, it's the kind of thing that I was hoping accidental love would be in that it's a, a kind of functioning, if creaky and bad, kind of rom-com. Yeah. And yeah, the opening credits, as you say, are terrible. So yeah, let me, shall I give a little bit of synopsis? Just Do, I will, I, will, I will chime in if there's anything I need to say along the way, but go, go nuts. So the setup is, it's called The Boyfriend School because um, Steve Guttenberg is, pl- plays a cartoonist, you know, um, for, for newspapers and yeah. magazines, I've got the impression. Anyway, I think he, he says he, it's for like a, a weekly magazine or something he says he writes for. Yeah, that's right. He's a weekly, he talks about weekly deadlines and he's had, I think it turns out to be Hodgkin's disease, doesn't it? Hodgkin's disease. Yeah. He, yeah. So he's had serious disease and he's, he's been on chemo he's getting, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's been on chemo and stuff. So when you first see him, he's, he's sort of bald and quite chubby. It just looks terrible. And it's, um, and basically his overbearing sister, who's a romantic author, decides that she's going to help him get back out there. And boyfriend school, that's the idea that she's going to teach him how to be an awesome boyfriend. And that's the sort of long and the short yeah. of it. Um, which is kind of like, and I guess, I guess the boyfriend school thing harks back because he sort of alludes to the fact that he used to be quite shy. But yeah. basically having um, the chemo and Hodgkin's lymphoma has not only um, made his hair fall out, it's also made him quite fat and schlubby. And yeah. I couldn't work it out. I, I kind of started off and I was like, now, is this, so this is the 80s, essentially, the 80s and 90s. And this is before... Um, I think it was Angel Heart, like 84, so maybe that was not quite then, but this is before it became normal for actors to get fat for a part. Yeah. So I was just like, is he fat? Or is he wearing terrible fat suit? And I, and He's I, terrible fat well, suit. Well, yeah, that, that, was, that was my first thought. Then I was like, but maybe I'm just being put off by the terrible, wispy no hair he's got. So I thought, yeah. I, I'm going I'm to reserve judgment. So we get to the... Um, uh, the point where he gets invited to dinner is his sister. So, so along this on, on this search for love, um, yeah. Jamie Gertz goes to interview his sister. She invites her to dinner at her house and invites him as a setup. Yeah. So Jamie Gertz kind of, is a she's a reporter, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. And she's sent there by her boyfriend Carl McLaughlin, who is wearing oh my god the worst sunglasses I've ever seen I on know. a human being ever. Yeah. They're like they're like they're like four slabs of dairy milk. <laughs> it's held together with a loose wire frame it's so weird yeah. and he's kind of I, I i love the fact that he comes in and he's just like this classic he's so 80sly coked up yeah, yeah he's yeah, just really yeah. like sort of like ha, ha, over here ha, i'm going to there yeah. he reminds me of like oh, character from like working <laughs> girl or something yeah yeah he's just one of those like high powery like newspaper editor coked up off his face sort of yeah. lunatics yeah um, so i just yeah so just to say so jamie gertz works is the is yes. reporter and she's sent to a kind of a um Shelley Long's a sort of, yeah, a, a romance novelist's kind of get together book yeah. signing thing. But then Shelley Long sort of turns the table on her by basically interviewing her because she immediately thinks, "Hey, this girl's going to yeah, be great for so my boyfriend." This is, this is my when this my brother weird creepiness starts out. And this film, don't get me wrong, is really creepy. And that's what I mean. Like when when, when the other title is, "Don't tell her it's me." It's all like yeah. it, it, that is as creepy <laughs> as the movie. So for a start, Shelley Long meets this girl and goes, "She's pretty hot." Maybe I'll try and set her up with my um, with my brother, who's a bit fragile. So then she gets her to her house, gets him to her house, and they have this awesome dinner, which is like I think it's it's one of those classic things in those in that sort of era movies. Like it's the like oh my god, there's funny foreign food dinner because <laughs> yeah. I think there's a bit when he serves some soup, 
And I think you're going to be horrified by the soup, but it just looks like it looks quite normal by today's standards. It's got some like <laughs> yeah. got some daikon radish in, and it's got yeah, some it other like, bits. It looks like sort of a, a good ramen soup. Yeah, exactly. But she looks at it a bit like bum bum bum, <laughs> and oh then they serve her a main course of jellyfish salad, and it, she's so disgusted, she has to go to the bathroom and throw up. But like now, I can't think of a Chinese restaurant I go to that doesn't have like jellyfish on the menu somewhere yeah. like it's become it's a relatively it's, it's exotic but not in the realms of like you what jellyfish salad it's but kind yeah, of in that scene though when when, when well for a start that reminded me also of better off the, yeah, yeah me too because you remember the mum with her really unfunny sort of squelching food with a life of its own yes and yeah because so the food does start pulsing at her and they do do that yeah. like classic like but when you're watching it, I don't you notice that like films from this era, comedies from this era, seem so the the cuts are so much slower than comedies nowadays. Oh yeah, you know I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying that's a bad thing, but in no, this stuff breathes. Scene, it is quite sort of <laughs> pedestrianly painful. Sort of like yeah, like ladled on rather thick. There's, I mean, th- what what I find what is really interesting though, and it is got to be down to approach, is that. What this also has in common with both the movies we watched is that it's desperately trying to be wacky because yeah. Shelley Long is batshit crazy. Yeah. And, you know, she's wearing chopsticks in her hair. Oh, it's a bit, I mean, that's pretty wacky for them. But then they've got this daughter, this three year old who only says uncle in a bad way and puts things like bolts in her mouth. And yeah. Shelley Long has this really bizarre trope throughout the whole movie of explaining very scientifically why she shouldn't put certain things in her mouth which is just like it's it's such forced wackiness but i just don't mind it i think it's yeah. what other people in other movies where they go for this and it's not endearing for some reason in this it's quite endearing yeah and just how bat shelly long is is quite sweet but she is essentially dangerously unhinged yeah because so these two meet right and there's a comedy bit when gus sees um jamie gertz in her undies briefly but i don't think at any point i don't think there's any point in this first meeting where there's any indication that they should really be together like essentially he looks terrible fine but he's a nice guy yeah she's really hot because she's jamie gertz yeah but there's no like at the end of the meeting there's no like reason that shelly long then pursues this absolutely insane campaign to try and get them married. He doesn't profess undying love for her at the end of this. By the end of the movie, he's completely in love with her and says it was from the beginning. No, I know what you're saying, but I thought he did sort of like, kind of, he did, doesn't he have a line that's slightly like on the the lines of, gosh, Thunderbolt City or something? Oh, maybe he does. I think he does, dude. I think there is a sort of acknowledgement that he really has fallen for her. He's been a shut-in with a terminal illness for ages, and you put a hot girl who you've seen in her underwear near you, and you're going to go, oh, "Oh, nice, like, like, like this one. Can I have one of those, please?" But you don't immediately go because it basically you go from there to um, Shelley Long has a chat with Jamie Gertz, where she goes, "Yeah, well, I'm sort of seeing someone else," and it immediately turns into not like, "Oh dear." Well, that's not going to work out. It's like, oh my god, he's going to lose the person I want him to marry. So let's <laughs> let's contrive the most elaborate thing we can possibly do ever. So anyways, it just goes from zero to hero in like one scene. So in that first bit, like, so basically in the first sort of like 20, 30, 40 minutes of the film, Gutenberg is in a fat suit with bad wispy stuff, and he has to put on yes. a ridiculous wig, and he wears really bad clothes. So when, then, when, he came, when he came for the dinner, I was like, oh, I think he is in a fat suit, because in the makeup yeah, on his face, it looked like he was in a fat suit. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then there was this scene 
where it's before she kind of takes him to get fit, where he's still got fat makeup on his face, but for some reason isn't wearing the fat suit on his body. Yeah. <laughs> which is really weird. And that's what I knew. It was definitely a fat suit. Because, like, he suddenly got body slim with a massive face. That's quite weird. How did that happen? I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's oh, like they forgot awesome. to put the fat suit on on one of the scenes. It's all, He's wearing, like, this white linen shirt. I think it's just because the wardrobe wouldn't have accommodated the fat suit. It's like they forgot to put it on for that scene. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, so, so the point is that, like, at around this time, she's... She, Shelley Long's the sister decides right I'm going to make her fall in love with you and she starts sort of like he starts working out and soon Gutenberg is unpeeled from the fat suit and yes you see a few sort of a very soon sort of running montages oh he's also he's suddenly... got loads of pale makeup and then he gets tanned as well yeah he gets tanned there's this quite nice interim bit when he's just got a bit of a skinhead I thought, yeah. I, just thought I quite like that yeah I thought it looked and quite good he's... with the skinhead actually yeah yeah but then he gets he gets you know the proper just Gutenberg hair for a bit, yeah. And he and he's looking. Gen- I can't remember what scene it is, but he looked genuinely. Wow, Gutenberg. It's looking quite buff. Yeah, well, no, but it's that bit when they go from like in, in the space of two minutes, like it's, it's that you know time jump thing. But yeah. they, they, she tries to get him to to take his shirt off when he's schlubby, and there's a yeah. bunch of like hot girls in a um a uh, in a cargo's pass and go, Ugh! and then like you know three scenes later he's down to slim tan Gutenberg in a vest and the same girls in the car like hey well, how yeah. you doing kind of thing but then but then this is where it all starts to go a bit weird this is where it starts to go a bit weird it goes a very weird because she not only wants to sort of make him fit and make him wear better clothes yes stuff like that but she decides to cre- that he needs to create a new persona to be, a new character to be, and then try and bag the woman of his dreams, i.e. Jamie Gert. Which for some reason they decide to call Lobo. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea at what point the word Lobo they thought was a good idea. It was kind of like... Right, so I I don't want us to get too sucked into sort of like loads of really noughties, 90s jokes about mullets, but the first thing about Lobo is a spectacular mullet. Sorry, just just to to rewind, just to rewind you slightly, what is amazingly brilliant is when they go in for the hair transformation, there's a computer. And it's all a bit, it's a bit like weird science. Like they just keep like, they've got a picture of his face, these, these new haircuts, he's going all over the computer. And it's like, look, computer technology. Um, And then it's, so it's the big reveal. It's like, that's the perfect one. Fade to black, come back. And then there's Lobo with the (laughs) world's biggest, most awful Malay. But I think I'm remembering right that I don't think they sort of like sit together and go, let's call him Lobo. Because it seems to be that when he went in the next scene, doesn't he sort of like not really have a name? And then he kind of just no, comes because up it, with Lobo. I don't, I, I, it's, I, thought, I thought the Lobo bit started off with when he was like, he was running along. He's running along and he's trying right. to, um, they're, trying to they're, they're running through the accents. Like, you're going to be Mexican? He's going to like, Lobo, do, 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 do. You're going to be French? Lobo, do, 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 do. And for some reason, I don't, like, don't know where the name Lobo came from, but somewhere they just went foreign. Yeah. L- L- Lobo. Let's just have a two-syllable name. It'd be easy for us to remember and pronounce. Um, <laughs> Lobo. Right. It's, it's Lobo Marunga or yeah. something, isn't it? That's his full name. But the thing is, okay, so I feel like we need to stress, so the whole point about this is that like his sister is a romance novelist. Yes. She writes trashy romance novels, so she really thinks she knows everything. She knows how to create 
a man, a persona that women will want. Yep. So that's why. And I think that's it. The, he's got to be foreign. It's, it's an exotic name. It's rugged and dangerous. So, and and the interest they make him a Kiwi. <laughs> And is, is now when we should introduce the subject of Steve Gutenberg's Kiwi accent. There because, is nothing oh my God, it's than the Steve most, Gutenberg's it, Kiwi accent. It's the most demented thing I've ever heard. What I really it's love just... is there's one bit. Is that he, he's he's kind of like he's really trying with the Kiwi accent. There's times when he's trying to flatten the vowels, and I like then it just goes completely yeah. unhinged and disappears. But he also tries a bit of slang. But he starts talking about gum trees and drongos. And I realised, yeah. I was like, this is pre-Lord of the Rings. This is before people realised that Australia and New Zealand were different countries. And it's before <laughs> Americans had really heard of New Zealand too much. Because there's a bit like there's a bit later on where someone says to I think Shelly Long says Shelly Long says, I'd love to visit New Zealand. He's like, well, why? But now everyone's like, oh yeah, New Zealand, it's full of like, it's where the orcs and Helms Deep and there. But here, it's just this random accent that just pings around like a ping pong ball in a tiny box. And it's awesome. it's truly spectacular. I thought the nearest he got to a genuinely realistic Kiwi syllable mm. was, I noted down the time, it's one hour, 13 <laughs> minutes in. And he explains to his own sister mm-hmm. that he's from New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. And he does New Zealand. And he kind of sort of gets it right. But, but really, really, honestly, the... I really, any Kiwis watching, they should definitely, listening, they should definitely, definitely <laughs> check this out. Because honestly, it's insane. I can't do a Kiwi accent. I kind of do this jokey Kiwi accent for my daughter. When I talk about Kiwi, and I kind of, kind of, every now and then I can kind of get it right. So I feel like I've got the ear for this stuff. But OMG, it's all, it's just hilarious. And by the way, can we just say that quite near, the, when he's only just recently become Lobo Moronga. Yeah. <laughs> Name. At what point is but that a he... sexy name? Pound me, big uh... Lobo. <laughs> Yours. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Kiss that's me. A very good reference Lobo. to when Harry yeah. Um, is that Sheldon? Yeah. Is that his name? Sheldon. Right, <laughs> <laughs> me, big Sheldon. Sheldon. But anyway, he, he's, there's a scene when a sexual consultant. Right. Seems so, to be and she in. is that she is what I, what I found really bizarre from her. So she is the the over pushy mum from Donnie Darko. Right, yeah, but she looks older in this than she did in Donnie Darko, significantly older, which is made later. I'm sure, like it's mid nineties, isn't it? Yeah, but yes, she's no, she's great. But they, but she does the weird tongue thing, which no woman has ever found attractive ever. And this is this is sort of when we get to the point where this this starts to like, yes, Shelley Long is um, uh sort of trying to do this romantic ideal. So she's saying to him, like, you know, you've got, you've got to be unattainable to really get it to fall for you. But essentially, quite early on, um, just to explain, he goes and foils a convenience store robbery that she's part of as Lobo, <laughs> just purely by accident. Yeah, so Lobo, and, remember, is he's got a mullet, he's got sort of... Oh, like, and he turns up on Harley Davidson, which apparently Gus a, had already. Yeah, he already had a Harley Davidson. He's got a leather trench coat, he's got a terrible earring. Hasn't he, he sort of looks chaps like... chaps on jeans as well? Leather he chaps. may have leather chaps on his jeans. I, he essentially looks like he's trying to be in the Lost Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good description, yeah. Um, and... Crossed with yeah, a bit of Billy Ray Cyrus. With a bit, yeah, Ray absolutely. <laughs> which, come to think of it, means that he's a bit like the bad... the the. the Demon bad character, but in doesn't Keith Sutherland? Have, yes, but doesn't Keith Sutherland have a big old mullet in Lost Boys? I think he does. Yeah, I suppose he does. I don't know. I, I must admit, I've not watched Lost Boys for a long time. But um, but he sort of a fo- he um foils this convenience store robbery. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, and she 
you know, starts off being into him for that because he's all hard and cool, and then he gets injured as well. So he's not only yeah. hard and cool, he's sort of um, he's lame. And she essentially stays and spends the night at her house, and she um, well, lame was in like a you know a, a poor duckling. Yeah. And, um, she... and there's actually a really funny bit in that when she puts some stuff on his hand. He's got a wounded hand, and she yes. puts some kind of cream on it. And it's just a genuinely hilarious bit of Gutenberg where he's trying like trying to look tough and kind of like gurning in and massive then, and, agony. And we do get little bits of Gutenberg physical comedy in here, which is great. Yeah. When he's sort of like trying to remember which character he's in and stuff. But I then. <laughs> But she, but there's a point where you kind of go. Shelley Long is trying to get her to fall for him, and she already has. Mm. And he keeps doing this sort of like pushing her away thing, and it goes for the like weird tongue thing. But basically, from just about the beginning of the movie, or just not yeah. the beginning of the movie, but from the beginning of the when oh, when once when, Lobo's in town, once Lobo's in town, from the beginning of Lobo's movie, then um then she's hot for Lobo, yeah. and yeah, I know she. You know, Shay Long, but Shay Long is obsessed with getting married. But essentially, this sort of turns into catfish. Yeah, this is essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. this weird made-up persona that's dragging Jamie Gertz into this kind of web of deceit and intrigue, orchestrated by a mad novelist. Yeah, using and both the, her brother and this journalist as pawns. But also, there's this there's this kind of subplot that is there, but it also just never really feels that important because we've kind of there are there's stuff with Carl McLaughlin's character where Who is, I mean, they're sort he, of engaged and sort of not engaged. They're sort of engaged, but sort of not engaged. He's decided he wanted her back, but as well, he seems to be having some kind of affair or thing with. Um, Madge Dynamic. Madge Dynamic, isn't he? Yeah, because Stephen Goodenberg, Goodenberg decides he can't be Lobo anymore, and he goes to Jamie Gertz's house to confess, and he turns up, and um, Carl McLaughlin's turned up there. And he overhears Jamie Gertz breaking up with Karma Coughlin. But for some reason, Maginamic is in the is curled up at the foot. Like in she's in the um the footwell of his BMW outside of like Karma Coughlin's BMW. Forget has by the way, has Lobo had sex with her by now? No, I don't is think he's just about to have Lobo it's no that that's when Lobo has sex. This is when Lobo has sex. When he goes because he's he's about to tell he her. He goes he's, he's about to, to tell her. He ends up having sex instead. Yeah, basically she he says, I've got to tell you something, and she's just like sort of whatever. Yeah, because he's saying things like oh, stuff. oh yeah, no, it's all it's all that stuff like he's saying, Oh, I've got to, uh, I've got to go away. He's making out yeah. he's Lobo's got to go away, so she you know, they're just one night. Yes. Together, that kind of so then yeah. he um, does, and then he wakes up in the morning and sort of goes, anyway, so I'm Gus. <laughs> At which point... I'm that guy with the bloaty yeah, face. You know you thought I was quite ugly and stuff. Well, both my sister and I have kind of massively <laughs> deceived you. But what is the most ridiculous thing in the world is that the night before, she has taken Lobo to Shelley Long's house. And first of all, yeah, yeah. so we've got this, we've got this, this like this weird thing where the daughter is like, will only say one word, and that's uncle when she sees Gus. So she takes the remodeled Gus slash Lobo to the house, and the first yeah. thing the daughter goes is uncle, and just treats him the same way. And Shelley Long is kind of like, oh, that's weird. Apart from the fact that it just looks like a less fat bloke version of the bloke you met with a mullet, and then the do then then Shelley Long's husband comes home and goes. Hey, hi, Gus. How's it going? I see your motorbike's outside. So Steve's got both of this whole, like, no, 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 no thing behind um, yeah. Jamie Gertz's back. And at no point does Jamie Gertz go, he's called him Gus. She's called him uncle. Oh, my God, it's Gus. So when he actually tells her after he's slept with her, it comes as a complete shock to her. She doesn't just go, yeah, no, I probably should have guessed that, shouldn't I? <laughs> when, when, when everyone last night was calling you Gus in your sister's house... 
maybe I should have worked out it was you. She ends up going to Shelley Long's house, ranting at her for setting yeah. up, and then realizing that actually she does love him. Shelley Long says she's going to stop meddling, but obviously is still meddling and says, oh, he's leaving forever. Do, do, do. Um, yeah, this is his. Yes, yeah. and then there's a bizarre bit when she goes there and steals his motorbike to drive to the airport, gets to the airport to find him. He's wearing his... And it's all the big... And then by this point, we're in classic sort of rom-com yeah. final showdown Absolutely. kind of stuff, which is what I love about Yeah, yeah. No, you know you're in You know you're in that kind of like... You're yeah, in running, the pocket. Running through exactly. airports and blah-de-blah. Blah. Uh, overcoming yeah. adversity to stuff. get to the man. And he's wearing his white trainers and his and his um his stonewashed blue jeans. It's all it's great. And he's lost his lost mullet. his mullet. Um, no longer low. And then she does this. She, instead of saying hi to him, she drops a thing near him, and it's fine. They get together, and yeah, and then he's like, yeah, it's just a really pointless device. Instead of walking up to him going, "I love you," she gets a leaflet from the counter, drops it next to him, walks a few paces, and then gets him to notice her, which I'd still have. Yeah, more... yeah, I know, I know. There's absolutely no reason. No, for she wants to talk. Hi, it's me. Um, but um. <laughs> In the, the, the saddest bit about this is, though, he she kind of goes, well, I love you. And he says, no, you don't love me. You love Lobo. And, um, <laughs> and she goes, no, I don't love I don't love Lobo. I love Lobo. the guy who did this. And she's obviously, in the script, they're really searching for the things that weren't Lobo. Because basically, she fell in love with the mullet dude, who was a bit taciturn, yeah. who smacked up a, a, a convenience store robber. And who was a bit aloof. But she goes, Yeah, it wasn't Lobo who um who uh <laughs> helped his helped his niece to draw. <laughs> like that was like yeah. a tiny portion of the time you guys spent together. And it wasn't <laughs> Lobo who was holding me last night. No, it was a guy who was lying to you about his identity in order yeah, to get and into and your and pants. Again, that- and again, that all brings into sharp relief the creepy original title of Don't, Don't Tell Her It's Me. Exactly. <laughs> which is just horrifying. I thought the one thing that I remember occurring to me, particularly about it just being, I mean, obviously it's a ridiculous. Yes, but it's got so many of but it's got so many of those great traits. <laughs> and you've got the bumbling, Shelley's Long's bumbling husband, Shelley Long being mental. Yeah. You know, you've got. Yeah, oh yeah, yes. the bumbling husband at one point says, um, says something like, um, oh, poor schnook. Or something, and I really loved hearing yeah. that word again because schnook. I love those Yiddish insults, you know, like, like yeah, yeah. and schnook. It's just a really cool word to use. But um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, just in that scene where we first, when they first have that uncomfortable dinner scene, and there's the awful food. Just one, there's just one thing that's just like I know it's all sort of for humorous effect, but she's given the the foul, you know, ooh, what's this foreign muck kind of thingy, and she and he 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 puts some in her plate. And I know. Just watch <laughs> Eating. Just like when, when, when did that ever happen? Who goes to a meal and there's like there are four of them there? And like just like one person has one bit like oh no don't you right. eat first I give I mean, you a sausage I mean, now try we're it. All watch. That's it you eat the sausage we're all going to watch you now it's my turn to eat the sausage no 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 you finish your bit first now it's my turn to eat the sausage ah now I hand it over to Ruprecht here go on Ruprecht you eat the sausage you know it's just absurd it was sort of like quite heavy handed and sort of like rather badly blocked. You know what I mean? It is quite heavy-handed. The whole thing yeah, is quite heavy-handed, but basically, it's made by an English TV director. Oh, really? I never, I didn't, yeah. I didn't look into anything research. Yeah, he made. I can't even. Um, he did a whole bunch of like Colby City-style dramas after. I think this was the last movie he made, right. which is in some ways a shame. But it's very much. I mean, it's very much a pastiche, um, or at least very heavily influenced by all of those you know things we've talked about. Better off dead mm. by sort of like there's, there's flavors of John Hughes in there, yeah. um. There's loads of just like sprinklings of like 80s 
early 90s rom-coms without it being sort of as sophisticated, I guess, as something they, like, like, like Harry kind of, Met Sally. Do you think they were trying but, to... I mean, obviously, like I say, when Harry Met Sally, I think, is 89... So do you think mm. they sort of saw that and kind of it had any impact? No, I think, I think... Or do you think it's no, too, I, too contemporary? I think it's too contemporaneous. And I think... I, I just don't think there's any any real crossover there because when Harry Met Sally is such a... is it's such a more sophisticated mm. tale with these two great leads and Perfect, these great supporting characters. Yeah. And this has a this has a wonderful cast of um, 80s cheese mm. A to B actors... This is, I mean, this is just, a, I think this is way more, like I say, like, it's way more post say anything, better off dead, John Hughes. Mm, it's way more it. in that sort of mold, just aping that kind of thing. It was like, it was Steve Gutenberg's one of them. But this is also adapted from a book as well. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't know how that. successful the book was, but adapted by the author, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But I just think, you know, it's it, in no way, it, it is stacked full of holes. It is contrived. It's sort of, it's got stupid moments of wackiness and zaniness and completely unbelievable in a lot of places, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It made me feel warm and fuzzy. It was just like, it was dipping yourself into a nicer era. Yeah. It was a much more simple um, era, wasn't it? You know, it sort of seemed... it, it, There's a certain innocence to it, which yeah. I love, and it's just... Innocence it, is it's... the word. And I think I really loved spending time with the young Gutenberg again. Yeah. I realised yeah, yeah. how much I liked him. Yeah. He's a... But I would, watch this, I would watch this again on a rainy day yeah. in a heartbeat, you know? It's kind of like... It's something I would definitely recommend. I would a hundred percent recommend that some any New Zealanders watch it because yes. there's a lot of enjoyment <laughs> to be had laughing at his terrible, and yeah. very weird cod accent, and some of it's knowing. If you suit me, they make jokes about the accent coming and going, but also some of it's not yeah, knowing because yeah. his accent is so bad even no. when he's trying. They I also no recommend people to go to minutes. It's about seven minutes, seven and a half minutes in, when mm-hmm. there's this bit between Shelley Long and Steve Gutenberg where. They've had a sort of mini argument, and she sort yep. of apologises, and you see Gutenberg nod, and then she nods, and then he nods, and then they just keep nodding, and it's just really, <laughs> and just really made me laugh. And yep. also, you remember last week on, um, sorry, last week in our last episode, we mentioned how we felt German shepherds are quite seventies. Yes. Well, did you notice that they have a Doberman? They do, and yeah. a Doberman's very eighties, isn't it? A Doberman is very eighties. It is, it is an excellent eighties dog. It's a very eighties dog. I I think it's a, there's a lot to recommend here. Yeah. If you maybe if you um don't have that kind of history with eighties rom coms, or you might not you might not quite get into it as much as as others. But I think in general, even if you don't, it's kind of <clears throat> you should give it a go because it's 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 warm, it's innocent, it's stupid, and it's something that uh, will pass the time quite agreeably for an hour and a half. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's good, dude. I'm really cool. pleased that this is our first proper solid recommend. It is. It is an absolute solid gold rubber stamped first recommend of the podcast. Hooray! Awesome. Thank God for Steve Gutenberg. So next time round, we've done, we've done, we've done rom coms. I mean, we're not we're no by nowhere. I'd say finish with the rom com genre, but we'll just cycle yeah. back around sometime. But next time round, I think we're going to hit sci fi. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to rom coms, and potentially quite soon as. A couple of these weren't really rom-coms. I mean, basically, we've done the screwball comedy episode with the boyfriend school rom-com on top. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think we're, um, you know, there's a lot of movies on Netflix. We've we've got a lot of times we can hit the same genre, a lot of ways we can do it. So uh, awesome. next time, sci-fi. Sci-fi it is. This time, watch Boyfriend School. Boyfriend School.